Section 9 of Bede's Ecclesiastical History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine. The Ecclesiastical History of England by the Venerable Bede. Translated by A. M. Sellar. Book 2, Chapter 4. How Laurentius and his bishops admonished the Scots to observe the unity of the Holy Church, particularly in keeping of Easter, and how Miletus went to Rome. Laurentius succeeded Augustine in the bishopric, having been ordained thereto by the latter in his lifetime, lest upon his death the Church, as yet in so unsettled a state, might begin to falter, if it should be destitute of a pastor, though but for one hour wherein he also followed the example of the first pastor of the church that is of the most blessed peter chief of the apostles who having founded the church of christ at rome is said to have consecrated clement to help him in preaching the gospel and at the same time to be his successor laurentius being advanced to the rank of archbishop labored indefatigably both by frequent words of holy exhortation and constant example of good works to strengthen the foundations of the church which had been so nobly laid and to carry it on to the fitting height of perfection in short he not only took charge of the new church formed among the english but endeavored also to bestow his pastoral care upon the tribes of the ancient inhabitants of britain as also of the scots who inhabit the island of ireland which is next to britain for when he understood that the life and profession of the scots in their aforesaid country as well as of the britons in britain was not truly in accordance with the practice of the church in many matters especially that they did not celebrate the festival of easter at the due time but thought that the day of the resurrection of our lord ought as has been said above to be observed between the fourteenth and twentieth of the moon he wrote jointly with his fellow bishops a hortatory epistle entreating and conjuring them to keep the unity of peace and catholic observance with the church of christ spread throughout the world the beginning of which epistle is as follows to our most dear brethren the lord's bishops and abbots throughout all the country of the scots laurentius Miletus, and justice bishops servants of the servants of god when the apostolic see according to the universal custom which it has followed elsewhere sent us to these western parts to preach to pagan nations and it was our lot to come into this island which is called britain before we knew them we held both the britons and scots in great esteem for sanctity believing that they walked according to the custom of the universal church but becoming acquainted with the britons we thought that the scots had been better now we have learnt from bishop dagon who came into this aforesaid island and the abbot columban in gaul that the scots in no way differ from the britons in their walk for when bishop dagon came to us not only did he refuse to eat at the same table but even to eat in the same house where we were entertained also laurentius with his fellow bishops wrote a letter to the bishops of the britons suitable to his degree by which he endeavoured to confirm them in catholic unity but what he gained by doing so the present times still show about this time Miletus, bishop of london went to rome to confer with the apostolic pope boniface about the necessary affairs of the english church and the same most reverend pope assembling a synod of the bishops of italy to prescribe rules for the life and peace of the monks 
Miletus also sat among them in the eighth year of the reign of the emperor Phocas, the thirteenth indiction, on the twenty-seventh of February, to the end that he might also sign and confirm by his authority whatsoever should be regularly decreed, and on his return into Britain might carry the decrees to the churches of the English, to be committed to them and observed, together with letters which the same Pope sent to the beloved of God, Archbishop Laurentius, and to all the clergy, as likewise to King Ethelbert and the English nation. This Pope was Boniface, the fourth after the blessed Gregory, Bishop of the city of Rome. He obtained for the Church of Christ from the Emperor Phocas the gift of the temple at Rome called by the ancients Pantheon, as representing all the gods, wherein he, having purified it from all defilement, dedicated a church to the Holy Mother of God and to all Christ's martyrs, to the end that, the company of devils being expelled, the blessed company of the saints might have therein a perpetual memorial. Chapter 5 how, after the death of kings Ethelbert and Sabert, their successors restored idolatry, for which reason both Miletus and Justus departed out of Britain, 616 A.D. In the year of our Lord 616, which is the twenty-first year after Augustine and his company were sent to preach to the English nation, Ethelbert, king of Kent, having most gloriously governed his temporal kingdom fifty-six years, entered into the eternal joys of the kingdom of heaven, he was the third of the English kings who ruled over all the southern provinces that are divided from the northern by the river Humber and the borders contiguous to it, but the first of all that ascended to the heavenly kingdom. The first who had the like sovereignty was Aeli, king of the South Saxons, the second Cailin, king of the West Saxons, who in their own language is called Caolin. The third, as has been said, was Ethelbert, king of Kent, the fourth was Redwald, king of the East Angles, who, even in the lifetime of Ethelbert, had been acquiring the leadership for his own race. The fifth was Edwin, king of the Northumbrian nation, that is, of those who live in the district to the north of the river Humber. His power was greater. He had the overlordship over all the nations who inhabit Britain, both English and British, except only the people of Kent and he reduced also under the dominion of the english the mevanian islands of the britons lying between ireland and britain the sixth was oswald the most christian king of the northumbrians whose kingdom was within the same bounds the seventh his brother oswy ruled over a kingdom of like extent for a time and for the most part subdued and made tributary the nations of the picts and scots who occupy the northern parts of britain but of that hereafter. King Ethelbert died on the twenty-fourth day of the month of February, twenty-one years after he had received the faith, and was buried in St. Martin's Chapel within the church of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, where also lies his queen, Bertha. Among other benefits which he conferred upon his nation in his care for them, he established, with the help of his council of wise men, judicial decisions after the Roman model, which are written in the language of the English, and are still kept and observed by them, among which he set down first what satisfaction should be given by any one who should steal anything belonging to the church, the bishop, or the other clergy, for he was resolved to give protection to those whom he had received along with their doctrine. This Ethelbert was the son of Ermenrich, whose father was Octa, 
whose father was Oirich, surnamed Oish, from whom the kings of Kent are wont to be called Oishings. His father was Hengist, who, being invited by Vortigern, first came into Britain with his son Oish, as has been said above. But after the death of Ethelbert, the accession of his son Eadbald proved very harmful to the still tender growth of the new church. For he not only refused to accept the faith of Christ, but was also defiled with such fornication as the apostle testifies, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. By both which crimes he gave occasion to those to return to their former uncleanness, who, under his father, had either for favor or fear of the king submitted to the laws of the faith and of a pure life. Nor did the unbelieving king escape without the scourge of divine severity and chastisement and correction, for he was troubled with frequent fits of madness and possessed by an unclean spirit. The storm of this disturbance was increased by the death of Sabert, king of the East Saxons, who, departing to the heavenly kingdom, left three sons, still pagans, to inherit his temporal crown. They immediately began openly to give themselves up to idolatry, which, during their father's lifetime, they had seemed somewhat to abandon, and they granted free license to their subjects to serve idols. And when they saw the bishop, whilst celebrating Mass in the church, give the Eucharist to the people, filled as they were with folly and ignorance, they said to him, as is commonly reported, Why do you not give us also that white bread which you used to give to our father Seba, for so they were wont to call him, and which you still continue to give to the people in the church? To whom he answered, if you will be washed in that font of salvation in which your father was washed, you may also partake of the holy bread of which he partook. But if you despise the laver of life, you can in no wise receive the bread of life. They replied, We will not enter into that font, because we know that we do not stand in need of it, and yet we will be refreshed by that bread. And being often earnestly admonished by him that this could by no means be done, nor would any one be admitted to partake of the sacred oblation without the holy cleansing, at last they said, filled with rage, If you will not comply with us in so small a matter as that which we require, you shall not stay in our province. And they drove him out, and bade him and his company depart from their kingdom. Being driven thence, he came into Kent to take counsel with his fellow bishops, Laurentius and Justus, and learn what was to be done in that case. And with one consent, they determined that it was better for them all to return to their own country, where they might serve God in freedom of mind, than to continue to no purpose among barbarians who had revolted from the faith. Miletus and Justus accordingly went away first, and withdrew into the parts of Gaul, intending there to await the event. But the kings who had driven from them the herald of the truth did not continue long unpunished in their worship of devils. For marching out to battle against the nation of the Uwisi, they were all slain with their army. Nevertheless, the people, having been once turned to wickedness, though the authors of it were destroyed, would not be corrected, nor return to the unity of faith and charity which is in Christ. Chapter 6 how Laurentius, being reproved by the Apostle Peter, converted King Eadbald to Christ, and how the king soon recalled Miletus and Justus to preach the word. 
617 to 618 A.D. Laurentius, being about to follow Miletus and Justus and to quit Britain, ordered his bed to be laid that night in the church of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, which has been often mentioned before wherein having laid himself to rest after he had with tears poured forth many prayers to god for the state of the church he fell asleep in the dead of night the blessed chief of the apostles appeared to him and scourging him grievously a long time asked of him with apostolic severity why he was forsaking the flock which he had committed to him or to what shepherd he was leaving by his flight christ's sheep that were in the midst of wolves hast thou he said forgotten my example who for the sake of those little ones whom christ commended to me in token of his affection underwent at the hands of infidels and enemies of christ bonds stripes imprisonment afflictions and lastly death itself even the death of the cross that i might at last be crowned with him laurentius the servant of christ roused by the scourging of the blessed peter and his words of exhortation went to the king as soon as morning broke and laying aside his garment showed the scars of the stripes which he had received the king astonished asked who had presumed to inflict such stripes on so great a man and when he heard that for the sake of his salvation the bishop had suffered these cruel blows at the hands of the apostle of christ he was greatly afraid and abjuring the worship of idols and renouncing his unlawful marriage he received the faith of christ and being baptized promoted and supported the interests of the church to the utmost of his power he also sent over into gaul and recalled Miletus and justice and bade them return to govern their churches in freedom they came back one year after their departure and justice returned to the city of rochester where he had before presided but the people of london would not receive bishop Miletus, choosing rather to be under their idolatrous high priests for king eadbald had not so much authority in the kingdom as his father and was not able to restore the bishop to his church against the will and consent of the pagans but he and his nation after his conversion to the lord sought to obey the commandments of god lastly he built the church of the holy mother of god in the monastery of the most blessed chief of the apostles which was afterwards consecrated by archbishop Miletus. chapter seven how bishop Miletus by prayer quenched a fire in his city 619 a d in this king's reign the blessed archbishop laurentius was taken up to the heavenly kingdom he was buried in the church and monastery of the holy apostle peter close by his predecessor augustine on the second day of the month of february Miletus, who was bishop of london succeeded to the see of canterbury being the third archbishop from augustine justice who was still living governed the church of rochester these ruled the church of the english with much care and industry and received letters of exhortation from boniface bishop of the roman apostolic see who presided over the church after deus dedit in the year of our lord six nineteen Miletus labored under the bodily infirmity of gout but his mind was sound and active cheerfully passing over all earthly things and always aspiring to love seek and attain to those which are celestial he was noble by birth but still nobler by the elevation of his mind in short that i may give one instance of his power from which the rest may be inferred 
it happened once that the city of canterbury being set on fire through carelessness was in danger of being consumed by the spreading conflagration water was thrown on the fire in vain a considerable part of the city was already destroyed and the fierce flames were advancing towards the bishop's abode when he trusting in god where human help failed ordered himself to be carried toward the raging masses of fire which were spreading on every side the church of the four crowned martyrs was in the place where the fire raged most fiercely the bishop being carried thither by his servants weak as he was set about averting by prayer the danger which the strong hands of active men had not been able to overcome with all their exertions immediately the wind which blowing from the south had spread the conflagration throughout the city veered to the north and thus prevented the destruction of those places that had been exposed to its full violence then it ceased entirely and there was a calm while the flames likewise sank and were extinguished and because the man of god burned with the fire of divine love and was wont to drive away the storms of the powers of the air by his frequent prayers and at his bidding from doing harm to himself or his people it was meet that he should be allowed to prevail over the winds and flames of this world and to obtain that they should not injure him or his this archbishop also having ruled the church five years departed to heaven in the reign of king eadbald and was buried with his fathers in the monastery and church which we have so often mentioned of the most blessed chief of the apostles in the year of our lord six twenty four on the twenty fourth day of april chapter eight how pope boniface sent the paul and a letter to justice successor to Miletus, six twenty four a d justus bishop of the church of rochester immediately succeeded Miletus in the archbishopric he consecrated romanus bishop of that see in his own stead having obtained authority to ordain bishops from pope boniface whom we mentioned above as successor to deus dedit of which license this is the form boniface to his most beloved brother justus we have learnt not only from the contents of your letter addressed to us but from the fulfilment granted to your work how faithfully and vigilantly you have laboured my brother for the gospel of christ for almighty god has not forsaken either the mystery of his name or the fruits of your labours having himself faithfully promised to the preachers of the gospel lo i am with you alway even unto the end of the world which promise his mercy has particularly manifested in this ministry imposed upon you opening the hearts of the nations to receive the wondrous mystery of your preaching for he has blessed with a rich reward your eminence's acceptable course by the support of his loving-kindness granting a plentiful increase to your labours in the faithful management of the talents committed to you and bestowing it on that which you might confirm to many generations this is conferred on you by that recompense whereby constantly persevering in the ministry imposed upon you you have awaited with praiseworthy patience the redemption of that nation and that they might profit by your merits salvation has been bestowed on them for our lord himself says he that endureth to the end shall be saved you are therefore saved by the hope of patience and the virtue of endurance to the end that the hearts of unbelievers being cleansed from their natural disease of superstition might obtain the mercy of their saviour for having received letters from our son adulwald we perceive with how much knowledge of the sacred word you my brother have brought his mind to the belief in true conversion and the certainty of the faith 
therefore firmly confiding in the long-suffering of the divine clemency we believe that through the ministry of your preaching there will ensue most full salvation not only of the nations subject to him but also of their neighbors to the end that as it is written the recompense of a perfect work may be conferred on you by the lord the rewarder of all the just and that the universal confession of all nations having received the mystery of the christian faith may declare that in truth their sound is gone out into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world we have also my brother moved by the warmth of our good will sent to you by the bearer of these presents the pall giving you authority to use it only in the celebration of the sacred mysteries granting to you likewise to ordain bishops when there shall be occasion through the lord's mercy that so the gospel of christ by the preaching of many may be spread abroad in all the nations that are not yet converted you must therefore endeavor my brother to preserve with unblemished sincerity of mind that which you have received through the kindness of the apostolic see bearing in mind what it is that is represented by the honorable vestment which you have obtained to be borne on your shoulders and imploring the divine mercy study to show yourself such that you may present before the tribunal of the supreme judge that is to come the rewards of the favor granted to you not with guiltiness but with the benefit of souls god preserve you in safety most dear brother chapter nine of the reign of king edwin and how paulinus coming to preach the gospel first converted his daughter and others to the mysteries of the faith of christ 625 to 626 a d at this time the nation of the northumbrians that is the english tribe dwelling on the north side of the river humber with their king edwin received the word of faith through the preaching of paulinus of whom we have before spoken this king as an earnest of his reception of the faith and his share in the heavenly kingdom received an increase also of his temporal realm for he reduced under his dominion all the parts of britain that were provinces either of the english or of the britons a thing which no english king had ever done before and he even subjected to the english the mevanian islands as has been said above the most important of these which is to the southward is the larger in extent and more fruitful containing nine hundred and sixty families according to the english computation the other contains above three hundred the occasion of this nation's reception of the faith was the alliance by marriage of their aforesaid king with the kings of kent for he had taken to wife ethelberg otherwise called tata daughter to king ethelbert when he first sent ambassadors to ask her in marriage of her brother eadbald who then reigned in kent he received the answer that it was not lawful to give a christian maiden in marriage to a pagan husband lest the faith and the mysteries of the heavenly king should be profaned by her union with a king that was altogether a stranger to the worship of the true god this answer being brought to edwin by his messengers he promised that he would in no manner act in opposition to the christian faith which the maiden professed but would give leave to her and all that went with her men and women bishops and clergy to follow their faith and worship after the custom of the christians nor did he refuse to accept that religion himself if being examined by wise men it should be found more holy and more worthy of god 
so the maiden was promised and sent to edwin and in accordance with the agreement paulinus a man beloved of god was ordained bishop to go with her and by daily exhortations and celebrating the heavenly mysteries to confirm her and her company lest they should be corrupted by intercourse with the pagans paulinus was ordained bishop by the archbishop justice on the twenty-first day of july in the year of our lord six twenty five and so came to king edwin with the aforesaid maiden as an attendant on their union and the flesh but his mind was wholly bent upon calling the nation to which he was sent to the knowledge of truth according to the words of the apostle to espouse her to the one true husband that he might present her as a chaste virgin to christ being come into that province he laboured much not only to retain those that went with him by the help of god that they should not abandon the faith but if haply he might to convert some of the pagans to the grace of the faith by his preaching but as the apostle says though he laboured long in the word the god of this world blinded the minds of them that believed not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ should shine unto them the next year there came into the province one called eumer sent by the king of the west saxons whose name was quihelm to lie in wait for king edwin in hopes at once to deprive him of his kingdom and his life he had a two-edged dagger dipped in poison to the end that if the wound inflicted by the weapon did not avail to kill the king it might be aided by the deadly venom he came to the king on the first day of the easter festival at the river derwent where there was then a royal township and being admitted as if to deliver a message from his master whilst unfolding in cunning words his pretended embassy he started up on a sudden and unsheathing the dagger under his garment assaulted the king when lilla the king's most devoted servant saw this having no buckler at hand to protect the king from death he at once interposed his own body to receive the blow but the enemy struck home with such force that he wounded the king through the body of the slaughtered thane being then attacked on all sides with swords in the confusion he also slew impiously with his dagger another of the thanes whose name was forther on that same holy easter night the queen had brought forth to the king a daughter called aonfled the king in the presence of bishop paulinus gave thanks to his gods for the birth of his daughter and the bishop on his part began to give thanks to christ and to tell the king that by his prayers to him he had obtained that the queen should bring forth the child in safety and without grievous pain the king delighted with his words promised that if god would grant him life and victory over the king by whom the murderer who had wounded him had been sent he would renounce his idols and serve christ and as a pledge that he would perform his promise he delivered up that same daughter to bishop paulinus to be consecrated to christ she was the first to be baptized of the nation of the northumbrians and she received baptism on the holy day of pentecost along with eleven others of her house at that time the king being recovered of the wound which he had received raised an army and marched against the nation of the west saxons and engaging in war either slew or received in surrender all those of whom he learned that they had conspired to murder him so he returned victorious into his own country but he would not immediately and unadvisedly embrace the mysteries of the christian faith though he no longer worshipped idols ever since he made the promise that he would serve christ 
but first took heed earnestly to be instructed at leisure by the venerable paulinus in the knowledge of the faith and to confer with such as he knew to be the wisest of his chief men inquiring what they thought was fittest to be done in that case and being a man of great natural sagacity he often sat alone by himself a long time in silence deliberating in the depths of his heart how he should proceed and to which religion should he adhere End of section 9. Recording by Catherine.